1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Theatre Podcast. Intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm Alan Seals, and our guest today is David Morse, who has such an incredible TV, film, and stage acting career. He's a director. He's a producer. I mean, you probably know him best from Green Mile, St. Elsewhere, and just this slew of other things. But he just reprised his off-Broadway role alongside Mary Louise Parker, now as they bring How I Learned to Drive to Broadway. The play is making its Broadway debut. Paula Vogel got a uh, a Pulitzer Prize for the script originally, like, over two decades ago. 23 years ago. 23-year gap between off-Broadway production and this Broadway production. And the two of them are reprising their roles. It still works. It's incredible. You have to go see their performances. It's just a master class. He has so much of a past David does that allows him to bring these rich characters to life and there's a humanity to everything that he he brings even though or all the characters he inhabits even though some of the people he plays are like bad guys or just stereotypically sort of just really evil people and actually sort of find it ironic we get into this a little bit, that he vowed early in his career to never do TV. He actually didn't like TV. And now some of the the most major things that have catapulted his career have come out of TV through <laughs> through a series of happenstance that, that he tells better than I can. So as always, find me online on Instagram and Twitter. Leave a rating and a review. Don't forget to follow me on TikTok. I have no idea what I'm doing there, but I'm on TikTok now.
0: Two,
1: three. Today's guest is a TV, film, and stage actor, director, and a producer. Some of my favorite credits of his include The Green Mile, St. Elsewhere, 12 Monkeys, Contact, and The Hurt Locker. He's received Two Emmy noms for his roles on House and the HBO miniseries John Adams. He has also received acclaim for his portrayal of Uncle Peck in the off Broadway play How I Learned to Drive, earning him a Drama Desk Award, Obie Award, and additional Broadway credits include The Iceman Cometh and The Seafarer and On the Waterfront. He can now be seen on Netflix in their comedy drama series The Chair and back on Broadway now with the Broadway debut of How I Learned to Drive, reprising his role his award-winning role. David Morse. welcome to the Theater Podcast.
0: Yeah, very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh,
1: of course. And I love I love that there is like this 23-year journey for this play because it was it premiered off Broadway 23 years ago. And and playwright Paula Vogel of course won a Pulitzer for it and you were with you were one of the original you were the original cast, part of the original cast back then along with Current cast members Mary Louise Parker and uh, jo- and Joanna Day, which was the adult Greek chorus. So, where I, I guess how long ago did you know that this play was going to make a a Broadway debut so many decades later?
0: Well, let me let me add a couple of years into what you were saying. When before the COVID uh, shutdown, we were rehearsing in March, and that was actually the twenty three years. Then now it's twenty five years. Right. I I, I don't want to make this sound even longer, but that's a quarter of a century. Um, So we we, you know, we have been trying to do this. Really, we never expected it would take twenty five years. Mark and Mary Louise, the director, originally came to me ten years after we did it, and asked if uh, how I felt about doing the ten year reunion and doing it on Broadway. And I had not done another play in ten years. Um, and I'd done a lot of theater early in my life, but I hadn't done a play in 10 years. And I just didn't feel like I could do this one. (laughs) You know, I needed to do something else before I did this. So, and, and, and they said, okay, thinking, okay, wouldn't be long before we could do this. And here we are 25 years later and we're finally on Broadway.
1: So this was, it was always the plan, I guess, you said, what, 10 years? It, there was a 10-year reunion you were talking about. That didn't happen. Nope. And, and and so was it always the plan to to bring this back after the 10 years and it just now got around to it? I mean, I know the business from the production side is always incredibly hard just in terms of getting funding and finding the right, uh, the right theater. Of course, you have to have a theater and then et cetera. Oh. So was, uh, I, I guess, the journey to bring it to Broadway now... Pandemic aside, right, there's also the question we'll get to of, oh, pandemic shuts it down. Do we even continue? Because some things didn't even come back after the pandemic. But before pandemic, that wasn't even uh, part of the equation yet. How far back did, did you and the team start planning this?
0: Well, we, we wanted to do it. I mean, as soon as I did, did I did Seafarer. That was, that was the first play I did. And once I did that, which was great, I got to be on Broadway. and It was an amazing production with those you know, those wonderful Irish actors. And I was like, okay, I'm ready. And, you know, let's figure out how to do this. But Mary Louise was doing Weeds, I think, and Mm -hmm. there was no time for her to do it. And then I wound up on a series, you know, and, you know, we just, our schedules weren't working because we were both working all the time. And Daryl Roth, who originally took this from the Vineyard uh, Theater and produced it off-Broadway, she has been devoted to this forever, from the beginning. And she has always wanted to see it done. And she kept coming to us and saying, "Are, are you ready? Can you do it? Do your schedules work out? Our schedules worked out. We're going to have an opening. And then she went to go get a theater in Broadway. And she couldn't get an open theater. There just wasn't any theaters anywhere. And when one wound up opening up, then again, Mary Louise was doing something or I was doing something. And we almost came together about four years ago. And the same thing happened. Uh, uh, Daryl thought she had had a, th- had a theater for us. And one of us, I don't know who it was, couldn't you know the schedule just didn't work and and then when it finally did work uh and we were in rehearsal COVID shut us down so Mm -hmm. it just feels amazing that we're we are finally here together well it's
1: it's interesting I'm going to come back to this we're definitely going to come back to how I learned to drive because uh the story you were just telling about you and, and Mary Louise of course um you've always got something going on in your tv and your film resume is is five miles long and you're just this successful working actor you it seems like you know your entire life but i want to back up to the very beginning and i was reading the i know you did you grow up in boston or uh where did you originally grow up well
0: i grew up north of boston i grew up on uh in the cape ann area um hamilton one of is where i went to high school and i was uh i just live theater in, in high school. We had an amazing woman who was the president of the Massachusetts Drama Society, and she took it seriously, and she, uh, she inspired all of us. So that's what I lived for in high school. And in my senior year, there was a, a fellow who had had a nervous breakdown, in his at his graduation boston university and he had come from our high school and he was a legend at school i never met him uh but you know he was the guy the actor that i'd always heard about and 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 mrs farini suggested to him when he came home to recuperate that maybe he directs something at the high school so he directed uh a production of zoo story with me and another fellow who kept getting all the roles that I was not allowed to take because my grades were so bad, and they had to take me out of you know these productions? And he wound up doing the roles. But anyway, we we did Zoo Story together, and it was pretty successful for a high school thing. And George, who was um, who had directed it, was um, part of a company that was forming the Boston Rep- Boston Repertory Theater in Boston. And I hadn't even graduated yet, and he suggested that I go into Boston audition for the company. So I skipped school one day and I went in <laughs> and, and I went into this, um, you know, apartment on, on uh, over near Symphony Hall somewhere on Mass Pike. And there were all these older people, you know, people had actually graduated from college in there. And I went into a room with the artistic director and auditioned. And when we came out, he told everybody there that I was the newest member of their company. Wow. So I did six years of repertory theater the Boston rep before I came to New York.
1: That's crazy. okay so then in high school, of course, so you, you, you're already in drama in high school and then of course this theater or this teacher helped you um, really take it seriously but before yeah. that, I mean was it was theater just something fun to do? was it uh, or, or, or did you have like a, a, a moment before that where you were like, oh, I saw this show now I know I have to do this?
0: You know, I never knew that it was something, you know, and so many people say this, you know, when you come from parts of the world that have no connection to New York or Los Angeles, it's not something you really understand. It's something you can do for real. Um, but because of who I was and what was going on in my life, uh, when I, the, the first experience I had outside of just playing, you know, pretending um, as a kid the actual reading and of a play, which actually happened in eighth grade, it was uh, the play *Unborrowed Time*, where I got to play all these different characters in the classroom. I immediately it, it was it was so it was so clear. I didn't even think about it. I felt so much more me being these other people than. Than I was being myself, and the same thing was in high school. I just felt more alive and more myself living these other people's world and reality than living in my own reality. And in some ways, that's not changed. Um, that really has been my life.
1: I feel like there's that's a lot of similarities with people in in uh, who have really stuck with it um, their entire lives and made Careers out of this at various levels of success is that they're they're using the stories of other people because they, for whatever reason, they're not comfortable in their own skin or they're not com- comfortable in their own sort of lifestyle. and uh, it's it's always interesting to me to to hear another one of these stories because even though it's it's everyone on the surface says it's something uh, almost identical. It's just I just felt at home playing other people. The root cause, the reasoning behind all this, is so wildly different for every single person. And you had touched on, you just mentioned something in passing a second ago that your grades were not good, so you were pulled out of, of larger roles, I guess. But it were in school, in high school and whatnot, and in terms of the academics, was theater just something that you fell into, you fell in love with, because it, you didn't have to try. It just became part, of, it was part of who you are.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will, will talk about this in the same way, um, because of what was going on in my family and the need to sort of escape from, you know, the the, the life that that I had grown up in. Um, it was a place for me to go. Um, uh, I I did not think much of myself, and and. I grew up with a father, especially you know, like a lot of fathers and a lot of sons, especially will say, um, I was not what he wanted me to be. It was you know, it was it was not happy, and I, I wound up having a breakdown also, and went through a lot and was treated for depression and everything. Um, so the, the place I really found. Where I just could feel whole in a way and and feel good about myself was was there uh, in, on this on the stage and 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 being these characters um, and thank God I found it it gave me something it got me through high school because certainly academics did not get me through I I i, did, I never even took PSATs I was not going to go to college and you know I never did any of that stuff wow. I would have been working in a I, uh, a newspaper press, you know. At the time, I was taking newspapers out the press um, at night to make some money. So, well, you that
1: that's such a that's such a wonderful story that you find your your chosen family. I use the term chosen family all the time for for theater, and then these casts, yeah. and um, yeah. some people use you know tribe. They found their tribe, whatever that means yeah. to you. And, and what I find interesting though about your your history is. You said you got into theater, it was stage performing, yet I'm looking at your resume and it's just TV and film, TV and film, and and just miles long of credits and success. And you've written and directed and produced and you've hit all aspects of this. And at what point then... Did did your path sort of go that TV film direction versus stage? Because I feel like if you start on the stage, it, it will never leave you. But you've done a lot of TV and film.
0: Yeah. Well, I you know I grew up, but I didn't have a TV for when well, I was doing theater. I didn't have a TV for ten years. I didn't watch TV. I didn't see anything. But I for, you know I, I sure had an opinion about TV. That's for sure. I, I, I was <laughs> sure I would never do TV in my life. Uh, I just thought it was the downfall of Western civilization. Um, and at the time, you know, there there wasn't a lot. I, I had friends who would talk about them. they had some TVs, they would talk about the Mary Tyler Moore show or Saturday Night Live or something like that at the time when it started out and this is you know the seventies, early seventies. Um, but I swore I would never do it. And I didn't and I and I didn't even really think about uh, movies. I thought maybe that would be in my life at some point but it's not like I pursued it, it wasn't I, I was doing theater, and my heroes were the all the people on the English stage. I read all the books about Olivia and Gilgood and uh, Ralph Richardson and you know all of them that's what I wanted and doing repertory theater doing four different plays a week and being all these different characters you know trying to be as different from, from one night to another uh, that's what I loved um and then when I went to at someone who, uh, um, an actress named Mary Joy, she had gone to New York from Boston. And she studied with a man named William Esper. Oh. Um, and she came to me about six years into, you know, my time at Boston Rep. And she said, it's time for you to leave Boston and you have to study with this man. You have to come to New York and you have to study with this man okay, well, it felt like it was time to leave because of what was going on in the theater. So I went down and I, I had an, an interview with, with Bill at the uh, neighborhood playhouse where he was still teaching. And, um, and he said, I'd like to take you, but you have to stop acting for two years and just study with me. Um, and I was like, holy crow, I've only acted. I mean, that's what I've been doing. And he's like, well, you got to stop. And you got to stop and study. Um, so okay. And now I got to go wait on tables or something, which I did. And it was the maybe the best two years of my life, not only creatively as a creative person, but emotionally and spiritually, I think, too um, of of being with Bill uh, because he really changed the direction of of the quality and kind of work I was doing,
1: Wow. so, I think that the studying, the studying is so important. I've heard so many people talk about this forever is, is that even when you've, when, when you're on Broadway, right? You are, there's so many people that think you've made it. That's it. You're done. Like that's the end of your journey. But yet the people who continually work on Broadway over and over again are the ones who between cl- shows on their eight show arduous schedule between these press appearances between all the other things that they're doing they're still learning they're still studying they're still taking class and always improving and so i think that's absolutely wonderful you had you had this idea or i guess the the ability and the support right a lot of people don't even have this support like to be able to have people say listen you need to go here because i see this potential in you And here's how we're going to do things. And then you at that age, too, don't mess around, right? It sounds like you took it very seriously.
0: Oh, completely. And when I was studying with Bill, you know, I just, I was watching other actors and just how uh, degrading this business is, Um, you know, in terms of, you know, trying to get agents and, you know, having your picture and resume and having to go to an agency and slide it under the door. I mean, they wouldn't even talk to you. I said, forget it. I'm not going to do that. I just Actually, the first thing I did when I went to New York, I went and I volunteered at the public theater. And Mary Calhoun was the, was the casting director then at public theater. And I went in and the volunteer person said, okay. And they took me into her office. And the first thing they had me do is they showed me a pile of pictures and resumes that went up to my waist. They said, we want you to file those. And I looked at <laughs> all those people who, they're, they're just like me. You know they're out there struggling just like I am to get a little bit of attention to get a job there in New York. I said I'm just not going to do this. So I filed all those things, and, um, and I just decided that if if agents are doing their work, they'll be in the theaters, and I'm just going to go find work. Uh, when I when I finished studying with Bill, um, so I you know I went to all the equity things. And I wanted to do some plays, and and it worked out that there was a woman who came to a production. And she became my my agent. And she just had me go out for everything, for every director, because nobody knew who I was, every casting person that came to town. And I auditioned for a movie that Christopher Walker was starring in called Dogs of War. And it was at night for some reason. I did that audition. And uh, when I got home, Yvette called me, my agent, and said, listen, they're going to offer you the role. But uh, Richard Donner is in... Town, and they the the casting director wants you to go and see him tomorrow morning. Um, you have to go wake him up at his hotel because they're doing some screen tests uh, tomorrow, and they're going flying back to L.A. in the afternoon. You have to go wake him up, and get a script from him, and go audition. So I got up in the morning and I went over to the Pierre Hotel on Fifth Avenue and went up to his room and knocked on his door and got him out of bed in his cranky old voice, the fantastic Richard Donner voice. He handed me a script and said, "Get out of here." Go ahead, let me have some breakfast and get back. So I went away for an hour and read the script. It was for the lead in the movie called Inside Moves. Um, I, I can't even believe that I'm even being considered for this. And I I went away for an hour and sat in a coffee shop and read the script. And I went back. And the producer was there in Dick's room and his wife. And I sat at their, their, their little table. And his wife, uh, Sheila, and I read some scenes together, and Dick said, okay, get in the cab with us. And We we got in the cab, we went across town, he, he screen-tested me hmm. with John Shea and Ellen Barkin, um, and then they flew back to Hollywood. And I was like, wow, what an experience. Well, I wound up getting the lead in the movie, along with John Savage. And so having gone from never done any TV or any movie and just doing theater, I starred in the first movie I ever did.
1: Wow, and... Th- Side note: I have heard of It Bickhoff's version of "I discovered David Morse." So, really? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I know. I know of it. Um, Interesting. So that that's a that's a that's a story we could share off air. Um, but the the first movie you go out for, the uh, you get the starring role, and I've heard success to uh to to emotional breakdown stories from actors in similar positions where they're like wait the first thing i did i got it i must be hot shit i'm gonna get everything else from now on so you completely offset your own expectations
0: yeah I, I yeah i did not expect to be a movie star or you know not that i was a movie star but starring in a movie and there i was um And having to play uh, a a guy who, you know, is a street basketball player, and he he winds up playing with the Golden State Warriors. And so I had to, you know, pretend I knew how to play basketball. I happened to be (laughs) 64, and that helped a little bit. Um, So the whole thing was pretty amazing. I mean, because there were so many movie stars that wanted to be doing that role, and I wound up doing it. And I I never thought that I was hot shit. Honest to God, I didn't. and and once I did the role, I just thought, let's just be real here. And I said, I'm going to go back to New York and I'm going to do theater. If there's something that comes from it, great. And I went back, and I and I uh, was invited to be a member of the, the, uh, the Circle Rep. I was in the Lab Company. I was in the original Lab Company that Stuart White ran, and um, uh, and then I was in Marshall invited me into the company. Uh, and then I couldn't get a break because I went from you know the the Inside Moves, it it was a wonderful movie, but the distribution company went bankrupt as soon as it came out at Christmas, <laughs> and the movie was pulled from the theaters, because um, Universal took it over and they had their own movies, and uh, not many people saw it. And but I'm competing with John Travolta for roles, and you know, and I wa- and never having done television, and I'm totally broke. And used up all my my the little bit of borrowed money I had. And I said, okay, I'll finally have to consider TV. And um, when when Inside Moves out came out, Joel Thurm, who was the head of casting for NBC, saw it. And after that, that year, um, he offered I mean, ridiculous amounts of money and and um, you know, my choice of whatever series I wanted and all this stuff. And I said, No, I didn't want to do it. Um, and a year later, when I was totally broke and running out of unemployment insurance, I finally said, okay, I'll consider TV. And they were like, well, all right, maybe. And uh, <laughs> we got this teeny little deal to go out to Hollywood. And um, and, and out of it came uh, St. Elsewhere.
1: Wow. Wow. And then from there, yeah, that was, I was going to say, I, I think that was what put you on the map. And it seems like. Everybody, yeah, everybody knows at least that. Yeah. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. I love, I love how these chance encounters and these seemingly insignificant decisions at the time lead to literal life-changing moments uh you know looking back now what was this was 40 years ago right so yeah. you're looking back on this you're like i didn't want to do tv i didn't want to do this this was the hor the, the worst thing ever and now it seems like you're earning so much acclaim and awards and accolades mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. from the from these performances and i actually think this is a, a wonderful segue into um the into how i learned to drive again because yeah. Uncle Uncle Peck is all of your all of your roles are surprising to me. Like when I if I were to look at a char- character synopsis, I would not ever play them how you play them, and mm. that's a good thing. It's a good thing, and I think that's why you're so successful. And uh, I'm on this side of the mic, and you're on that side. But mm. the uh, <laughs> Uncle Peck, I feel sorry for the guy at the mm. end of How I Learned to Drive, and. This is some serious content. This and we're talking about, about grooming and uh and child molestation and some serious things that this guy wants to do. And at the end of it, the the way that you play this this character. I I I I I have empathy for every single person on stage, your character included, um, for various reasons. Because yeah. So I guess speaking to that, then, like to me, it seems like Uncle Pack—he's he's just a guy who wants to be loved, and the person he loves just happens to be highly inappropriate. But yeah. when, when, when you're looking at this role, I guess twofold parts of this question: one is, did you approach it differently now, 25 years later, versus the original Off Broadway production? Um, and then, so then the other part of. Why did you, did you decide or was this, you know, in the magic of Paula Vogel's writing, like where did the, where did the, 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 the humanism, the human side of this character come from?
0: Well, you just said it, the magic of of Paula's writing. Um, Really the genius of this play is her love for this man, uh, which allows me to fully embrace the love she has for him and the love that he has for his niece. Bit. To me, that's, that's what the play is. It, it, it is that love story. It's tragic as can be. Um, uh, and sad,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but that's, that is the key. Um, is, is his utter love for her. And, and there, you know, there is a kind of a. It's it's going to sound so strange and awful to say it, but there is there really is a a, a, oh, a purity in a way to his love for his niece. Mm-hmm. He's a really he's a really damaged man, and we don't get to really know all the secrets of this man. But it's clear he's really a damaged man. But it, he doesn't see himself that way. It's not what he believes about himself. He really genuinely just adores this. He says it. He, he, he's loved her from the first day he held her in his hand mm-hmm. that's never changed um, yeah so that's you know, that's where you go
1: i i just i'm watching this and i mean mary louise parker i've been a fan of of her work as well for forever and yeah. the two of you on stage together uh I, i'm there's so <laughs> there's so much that i love about the situation because the two of you together is like this this casting match made in heaven, but this is also—you're both reviving these roles from from 25 years ago—and then the magic of Paula Vogel's script in general is that the, both of you are able to reprise these roles. And age, the, the age you are now versus what you are, what you were then, yeah. doesn't really make a difference. It's completely the same. It, it to the story, it's completely the same. So, I guess, yeah, going back then to the first part of the question was um did you did you come at this different? Do you were in the rest of the cast when you were staging this again now and in twenty 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 i guess right it was when things shut down so yeah. twenty twenty hitting that yeah. again was that different from from originally when it premiered
0: Well, what happened was you know, we were all really thankful that it was finally going to happen. But once we understood it was really going to happen, we all felt like and Mark really, really the director really, uh, led this. He said, um, basically, are we doing this just to do a play? Is it, is it even important to, to tell this story anymore with everything that's gone on in the world? Is it important to us as people to be telling the story? So, Actually, in 2019, in December, before we got together to rehearse in, in March, uh, we got together for a few days, the original people. And we talked about, should we really be doing this? And why are we really doing this? And we really looked at ourselves and, and our lives, talked about our lives. And it became way more personal, uh, the stuff that had happened to us in the, in the, you know, in the intervening years, to our family, to people we loved, in the world, what we're seeing. And so when we started our rehearsals, we started it from a way more personal uh, place. Um, and, you know, honestly, I, I, I felt kind of intimidated by that first production and by those younger people who had done that work. And I wasn't sure what would happen. And I, and I was very worried for Uncle Peck and how he would be, you know, at my age, you know, living his life, representing him, how the world would um, uh, handle him. And I still am unsure about that. I, I you know, I, I, I worry for him in, in this world. Um, but I really love him, and I really understand a lot about where he comes from, and I just, you know, we're just going out there with our whole hearts, and Seeing what happens.
1: Well, it, it really does. It, I guess portray. You said the whole heart. You're going out there with your whole heart, and this whole cast is
0: <laughs>
1: laying into this material in in a in a complete. Um, it's so trusting, right? You, you're not you're not doing anything to the words except saying the words, but the way that. You're saying the words, the script itself, again, Pulitzer Prize winning, Paula Vogel, just incredible woman in and of her own right. And then you add the nuances and the now personal experiences that you have at this point in 2022 as we're recording, um, you and Mary Louise Parker and, and the other amazing members of the cast. Yeah, I I wish I could have seen. If you have an old like eight millimeter or VHS tape of the original production, I want to see it because I want to <laughs> I want to compare then to now. Yeah. But but uh, I I enjoy so much how truthful and how authentic and uh, just how it comes across. But for you specifically, like playing, you've you've played some bad guys. You play a lot of bad guys, yeah. and is it is it sort of easier for you in a way to play like. Just kind of a generic, I'm just going to go rob a bank, steal, a, steal some things, bad guy. Or like this emotionally vulnerable, this kind of thing with how I learned to drive. I feel like this would be near impossible to allow yourself to fall into without complete trust in something. Yourself, Paula, the script, the team. Like what is it on your side?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about Inside Moves uh, and doing the lead in that movie. John Savage, it, it, you, even though it was a big, it, it, the two things about that, um, even though John Savage and I starred in it, the ensemble in that was amazing. And it really was what gave a lot of the soul to that film was this fantastic ensemble. And I've done a lot of ensembles in my life. And I, it, you know, I think it's the best. I just, that real full world of characters all with their lives, it, 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 it's the best. Um, you know, it's not just some characters who they're in service to the lead character and his whenever his plot point stuff and all of that. You know, the ensemble community I love. Um, but also that character, that first character I played was way more complicated than just the leading guy who becomes the basketball player. He he was a complicated guy who hurt people. And it sort of sent that movie set it template for me and, and not knowing it at the time but playing characters who really are complicated who have more underneath than we know and it's what's always interested me and i've been offered roles that you know just of black and white um i almost don't know how to do them and, and, I, and i have directors say to me uh we want you to do it because we know what you can bring something more to it and you know sometimes it, you know there isn't more to it. Uh, then, you know. There was, there was a very famous director who was doing a great movie. Um, and there was a character in it. Uh, and I met him for it. And I was dying to work with him because he's an amazing director. And he asked me about playing his character. And I could tell he was interested, really interested in me doing it. And the way it was written, I said, you know, he's, he is just a bad guy. He's a bad guy. You can you can say whatever you want. You may want him to be something else. It's not there. I don't see it. He's a bad guy, and he didn't hire me for the role because he believed that there was something there that wasn't there. I didn't know how to do it, um, and so most of the roles I've done, I've at least been able to see that there's there are more to these people than than just the, the bad guy.
1: Is, is that hard for you? Is that hard for you? I guess to say no to to roles now. I'm sure, like at this point, it's a little less hard than it was probably when you know you're starting out and and broke. And this is why you you do TV after you swear you you'd never do TV. But are you are at this point now? Are are you really looking for something specific in all of your characters? Other, you know, I guess is it just is it you want depth to everything you're doing, or are you looking for for you know is next? You're looking for a rom-com next or you're looking for an action flick next or you know <laughs> what are you looking for at this yeah. point?
0: Um you know it hasn't always been uh, easy to turn things down. I I actually went through a very rough period in my life where we where our family was going through, you know, facing bankruptcy and it was it was a very rough time for us. We had small children and financially things had happened that we were taken by business people and I'd handle money badly. And, you know, we just went through a rough time. And I was trying so hard to just control my life. I was trying to make the transition from uh, doing TV back into movies. And it was, it was a really difficult time. Um, so I finally just had to give in and say, look, I've got children to feed. I've got to keep, uh, keep us in a house. I'm not in control of this. And there were things that I did that, you know I, I had to do um, to feed us all, and you know and as, and as as I get older and most actors when, when they get older um, the the options become less, and the uh, and the the roles they could just offer one bad father after another, one mean cop after another, and you know because i've been I've done so many, and they just wanted me to do what I had done, and none of them were as interesting as what I'd done, but you do want to work. I do want to work, and there's always that temptation to just say, "Okay, I'll just go work." Um, but then when something like you mentioned Hurt Locker, you know, I wasn't in much of that, but that 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 script was amazing. Mm-hmm. caption was great, and the character was really fun. You know, and it was an important movie. I just felt it. You just feel that something is important. You know, I didn't care that he was in not so much. You know, Ray Fines was in it, and same sort of thing with him and Guy Pierce. We all did it because it was just fantastic that script. You knew it was special. And you know, that's what was important. Um, not that it was a big role, but that it was an important role, an authentic role, a role to get excited about. So were
1: were you always With all the TV and all the film and everything going on, it, you know, I feel like that's one world. And now in the last 10 years, it's, you know, with the the ability to self tape and get across the country a lot more quickly and efficiently, it's been easier. But, um, I, were you always kind of forced to choose between the TV film world and the theater world? Because, like, the theater, the professional theater credits in terms of Broadway and off Broadway are are pale in comparison to the TV and film credits. But, you started out in theater, you, it seems like that's where your heart still is in terms of authenticity. I don't think you can find a level of authenticity doing individual film and TV scenes like you can doing being, embodying a character for two and a half hours, eight times a week on, on stage. Right. right? So have you always been longing to come back or where was the choice there? Was it just where the work was?
0: Well, after I after I did *Saint Elsewhere*, uh, you know, I hadn't done Broadway yet, um, and I was dying to do it. And I was dying to do, you know, like I said, get into movies. And Sean Penn had offered me a, 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 a film, the first first movie he wrote and directed called *Indian Runner*, *The Indian Runner*. Uh, and in the producers, nobody wanted me in it, but he, for some reason. He had seen me in Inside Moves when he was a teenager, and apparently he wrote me a letter at a, as, a, as a teenager to um, tell me how much he, he loved what I did in the movie. <laughs> and, and he always remembered it. And and after um, uh, after after uh, uh, you know St. elsewhere, I just got a, a message that Sean wanted he wanted to meet me for the first movie he was were going to direct. I couldn't believe it. He was the biggest movie star in the world. And I went up to his compound up in Malibu and we spent, you know, an afternoon together. And he really fought for me to be in that movie, fought to producers. He wanted me to do it. And the producers insisted that they do this big screen test with me. And he didn't really want to do it, um, but he agreed to do it. And he decided to use it to get his crew together and kind of just kind of work on things. And, and he sent me a, a, um, uh, a scene which was not in the movie. And it was this very emotional you know, scene, emotional crying kind of scene. And I read it and I thought, why? Why are you doing this? This is not character. I don't get it. Um, and I got really kind of mad. And I, and I, and I wasn't going, I was almost going to back out of doing the, you know, the screen test to have to do that. Um, and finally, thank God, some, my therapist in my head said, um, you know what? Uh, just be brave. Go do the scene. Go do it. Whatever happens, happens. Don't, don't, you know, don't undermine yourself. So I went up there, and um, Liam Neeson was up there, and he had just he had just done the screen test, and uh, you know, Robert De Niro was being talked about for the role, and, um, and I went in there and I did I did the screen test, and our producers were all there. At the end of the day, they said, "Oh wow, you know, he's got the role." And Sean told me afterward that he wrote the scene because he didn't think anybody else could do it. Um, he knew the actors they wanted. He didn't think any of them could do it. And so he gave me this this scene to do. And it worked, obviously. Um, but I thought now I have, uh, you know, a career to movies, you know, a path to movies. And it wasn't happening. And, and we were financially just getting killed. Um, and this has to do with theater, too. Um, Lanford Wilson had a play called—I'm sorry if I'm talking too much, but I guess that's why I'm here.
1: Um, <laughs> no, this is this is fascinating. I'm I'm completely enthralled right now.
0: Yeah. Well, Lanford had written a play. Um, you know, I remember we had the a, 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 a Left Coast version of Circle Rep, and there were a lot of actors out there, and we were doing readings of— a bunch of plays, and I read some stuff with Lamford Wilson's. And, uh, and when, when uh, Redwood Curtain came along, and they were going to bring it to Broadway, Marshall and Lamford asked me if I would do the, the lead in that. And this was my dream come true. This really is what I wanted, and the movies are great, but theater is what I really loved. And you know, when you're young and you know the same thing, you know, you open the plays, and there are the people who originated the plays; their names there, and that's that's really what I aspired to be was one of those actors who had their name in the front of one of those, you know, in kind the of books who created that. Now I was going to get to be one of those actors and go to Broadway, but they had to go to Seattle do a Seattle rap, and then they're going to Philadelphia, and then to Broadway. Um, and, uh, I had to wait a year before it was going to happen. So I was turning down everything. I was turning down TV and trying to get movies and we were using up our savings. And finally, our twins were born. Um, and two weeks after our twins were born, rehearsal started in New York for Redwood Curtain and I was we were practically broke. Um, and I had to leave my wife with three children, two newborns, and we went to Seattle and it was, <laughs> it was, I loved the play. It was spectacular to be a part of this. Um, but our family was just struggling. And I had to leave the show um, at the end of Seattle. And uh, Lambert was devastated. Um, and the play wound up going to Broadway a year later. And I was asked to do the Broadway, Broadway show. And I couldn't do it because I couldn't afford it. And Jeff Daniels wound up doing it, and uh, you know he did it on Broadway, and then they did the T movie, TV movie, and he did the TV movie. And it just killed me, um, because theater really is what I loved, and it's really wanted to do, but financially it was just too much.
1: That's that, that's like an overall sort of, uh, I I guess a, an endemic problem. Is that the right phrase for this? Because if you don't if you don't play to what 85% capacity on most nights i think that's the that's the yes. that's the statistic i can't speak right now that's yeah. the statistic that if you're basically yeah. not full almost every night then you just can't survive and i feel like for something that is supposed to be for the people like this is art this is creativity uh, this is the best of the best of this world that's supposed to inspire, but to have so many restrictions and so much business in the business of show business seems to be counterproductive and highly restrictive. So I totally understand you got to do what you got to do at the bottom of the line at the end of the day to feed your family
0: Yeah,
1: and sure. no one has a crystal ball.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. It feels very unfair at times. Um, But it is the world we're in, and and the reality is, you know, if people aren't in there and watching it, uh, it, it's just not going to happen. You know, it's expensive to do, and you got to have the seats filled. And and when I when I when I was first when I first uh, um, you know uh, finished studying with Bill and was out there trying to uh, do theater, um, and after Inside Moves. Uh there were there were there were there was a production of Mass Appeal. Um I don't know if you remember that. But originally um Eric Roberts was doing that role. And they I they offered me the understudy for the role. And I said, forget it, I'm not gonna be an understudy for for this. And they uh and Eric Roberts wound up one up not doing it going to Broadway. But I had already removed myself from the process and um you know, Michael O'Keefe got the role instead, and and because he had a bigger success with a movie, and you know, and he was a good actor, and he deserved to do it. But you know, it, it, if I'd done the understudy, maybe I would have done the role. You know, taken over for Eric Roberts. Who knows? It's life just didn't happen the way we wanted it to, but other things happened instead of that. And uh, you know, I probably wouldn't have met my wife and our children, and you know. You've got to be grateful for the way things turn out. You know? well, of course, of course. And I was
1: going to ask too where Green Mile fall, fell into all of this timing-wise, because if if you're on stage, you can't leave. To I mean, unless you're like, it's very rare that you're able to leave to go for several months and go film a movie or you know do a season of a TV right. show or whatever it is. Right.
0: That's right. So, um, what was the timing around Green Mile then? Well, actually, I, I auditioned for. Well, there's a couple of things that happened. Um, uh, I I auditioned for, uh, or met, I didn't have to audition. I met for um, uh, The Negotiator um, mm-hmm. right after I left. Uh, Mary Louise and I left at the same time. How um, I learned to drive. We'd done it for six months, and it felt like that was enough. And we left, and I wound up doing The Negotiator. Uh, but I'd already done The Rock, I think, at that point. Um, I think, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and The Rock had come out of, I did a one-person play um, called An Almost Holy Picture. And I did that in, in at La Jolla. And it was a beautiful, spectacularly beautiful play. And, and the hardest thing I'd ever done this one-person play and uh, while i was while I was doing that, I went up and auditioned for the rock for, with Michael Bay and I wound up getting the rock so it was like this series of movies that happened the rock the negotiator um, uh, another movie with um, um, Michael had directed extreme measures and and it, and things were starting to there was a ball rolling and i i uh, I had done a a an hBO a series called Two Fisted Tales that Dick Donner, who directed Inside Moves, was doing. And Frank Darabont, who wrote um, uh, Shawshank and Green Mile, I, he wrote this episode. And he and I got to know each other in that. So um, a- after, uh, after you know, these other movies, I got a call one day. It was Frank Darabont. And he said, listen, I'm sending you a script. And uh, you know, I was the first one he was sending the script to. And he said, um, "There's a rule called uh, a role brutal. Brutus, and, I, and I, uh, I, I'm interested in you, you doing it, but I need to be sure that you are you are not an actor who wants to improvise." It's like, okay, what am I going to say? <laughs> yes, I like to improvise. Um, <laughs> yeah, and said, like, "No, no, 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 of course not. No, I'd love to be your script. And and uh, I read it, and again, it's one of those things. Um, it was. It was just beautiful to its soul. And 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 that original Stephen King series of novel, little novelettes, novellas, whatever they're called, um, they, 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 again, heart, soul, beauty, love, all those things were in there. And they were all in transcript. And I was the first one cast. And then I saw all these other incredible actors come on board. And it was one of those things that because of what that script was everybody in hollywood wanted to be a part of and they hadn't found michael clark duncan yet and i was seeing all these you know six foot nine basketball players from the <laughs> lakers whatever in there were all saying hi they had seen inside moves the basketball movie um it was fun to see them all and meet them all uh, and then we found out that this guy who had barely acted who was digging ditches uh, you know, for the gas company in Chicago a few years before, was going to be doing the role. And uh, we got together for that first reading, and there's these incredible actors, you know, Sam Rockwell and um, Tom and uh, Patricia Clarkson. I mean, amazing, every one of them, every, Michael Jeter. Um, and there was Michael Clark Duncan in the midst of all of us with that amazing presence. Um, and that He's movie... He's a huge guy. yeah um uh and the movie to to this day it plays all over the world um you know and and people watch it you know over and over and over again i hear about it all the time Uh, and for good reason it was uh, a great movie
1: yeah michael clark is another one of those actors who could when you look at him you don't expect that level of of authenticity and depth to come out and i watched uh, the island is one of my other favorite movies from when i was younger and like to see him in the island too just his character too just over and over again just that whole like i want to live scene right Mm -hmm. just oh god i miss him i miss his presence and yeah but green mile too always still one of my favorites one of the first that movies i ever bought on dvd you know like it's it's real it speaks to people in a way uh, your performances, the, the, the depth and the authentic, authenticity, I'll say it again, speaks to people in a way that I don't even think they realize, which again, you know, we'll go back and talk, to, uh, talk about um, how I learned to drive. It's the reason why I think the, the play does so well, just it, it speaks to people and makes them uncomfortable in a good way. It makes them think and allows them probably to process things that they may or may not have processed in, in one way or another. But yeah. uh yeah. but I I can I totally I totally understand your modus operandi at this point now. So yeah. <laughs> no 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 you're the action you need an action hero who uh who who has a, a very a very de- deep and, and complicated past.
0: Mm-hmm. But you
1: need a good yeah. script to write that. Maybe, maybe be are you in the, are you an avatar? Can you tell us? Are you gonna be an avatar three? That that's like something you and Michael Bay could just like pull together this avatar character that has so much depth. You can be mm-hmm. one of the Navi. That would be super cool.
0: Yeah, we'll give Michael a call. Tell him all about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. All
1: right, let me, let me just give him, I'll shoot him a text. I, I don't know yeah. if his cell, cell service reaches underwater, but we'll get there. <laughs> um, real quick, you said you're 6'4". I just didn't want to resolve a conflict. Wikipedia says you are 6'5". IMDB says you're and a half. So I'm going to go with 6'4 and update your Wikipedia entry for you.
0: Well, go ahead and do that, but I'm six foot three. But but go ahead and say I'm six foot four. Okay. On, you said you were six <laughs> okay. Um, so we'll wrap
1: up here with three standard closing questions. I ask everybody yeah. just to end the episodes. The first one very simply is what motivates you.
0: Um, you know, I it's it you probably get the same word over and over again, but it's it's really love, you know. Love for my family, love for the work I do. Uh, you know trying to love other people. Um, I would say that motivates me as much as anything.
1: Great. And then what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path?
0: Oh, work hard, have faith, uh, and be grateful for the people in your lives and you know, love as much as you can.
1: Last question. This, is, this one's the hardest. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see?
0: Oh wow! Um, you mean one play, one sure. movie, one show? Well, if you have, you have if you have a dividend answer for each, then
1: then sure, we'll go with one of each.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I have one for one of each. Um, uh, I don't. Yeah, it's a really hard one. Um, you, you, one one of the, and it's probably not one that I really want to see for the rest of my life. But the, one of the first. Um, Broadway shows I saw, uh, which just I just was transformative for me, was Equus and that that original production on Broadway. And Richard Burton was doing it um, originally, and I got tickets for it. And when I went to it, it wasn't Richard Burton. it was another actor. and he was the most fascinating, riveting thing I'd ever seen on a stage. It was Anthony Hopkins um, and and he, I'd like, okay, that's that's what it means to be on a stage. And It was Anthony Hopkins, so, wow. um, and I would, <laughs> I would love to see it again. I don't know if it'd be the rest of my life, but I would love to see it again. I would love In to see, see
1: anything anything Anthony Hopkins does on stage, too. Yeah, one hundred percent agree. Yeah. You can get more of me at theaterpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. I'm on TikTok now. I don't know what I'm doing there, but I'm the theater podcast on TikTok. Leave a rating and review. This has been edited by Well-Rounded Hoodland Productions. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And David, oh my God, I've had, I've been looking forward to this conversation for so long. It was so lovely to talk
0: to you. Really happy to talk to you. and It was, it was the same lovely to talk to you. Thanks for doing that.
1: make
0: the world a little colorful hey it's leslie odom jr here on the broadway podcast network to tell you about the rise theater directory a program of maestro music rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds if you work